uh, one of the things that I was grateful to see as a missionary kid was people who could not read uh, in their adult years. Uh, in Mexico, many people don't uh, read leisurely for, for sure, and some of them don't read at all. Uh, becoming Christians and then getting a copy of the Bible and learning to read so they could read the Bible. They were so excited as a, a Christian to be able to finally hear directly from God. They'd been raised oftentimes in Roman Catholic context where the Bible is not read, and they, for the first time, could read the Bible for themselves. Uh, and we uh, read as a practice uh, in worship. We read through the Scriptures. We preach uh, verse by verse through the Scriptures because we're excited to hear God speak to us and address us, and we come to God's Word in chapter 6 verses 11 to 20. So let's give our attention to God's very word. It's inspired and holy, and it, it addresses our hearts this morning. Hebrews 6 verses 11 and following. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then picking up verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of his promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone, as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's ask for God's blessing on his word. Our Father, we thank you for the words of challenge in the last uh, section of Hebrews, uh, calling us, Lord, to, to wake up out of a lazy listening, calling us to uh, grow up in maturity. But Lord, we also thank you this morning for these words of hope and encouragement and peace. Our hearts are often shaken, and we struggle to wait, Lord. So we ask that you would work a supernatural patience and hope in us as we hold fast, Lord, to the steady anchor of Christ this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll ask you if you're a kid this morning, if you like to wait. My kids have the practice of putting calendars up next to their beds recently, I was required as a dad to hang up calendars next to each of the beds of my kids. I don't know why this is so important, but each day they have to check off that a day has passed, and they're always counting down to something. Uh, it's a birthday, or it's a party that's coming up, and it's just, you know, 27 days or 13 days or something. And the waiting is so difficult, but the enthusiasm, the excitement of checking off the day is very, very powerful. And I think none of us really grow out of that difficulty of waiting patiently waiting for something in the future that we know is coming is always uh, difficult. I remember each year my parents would let me uh, order one CD out of a catalog. I'm 
kind of dating myself now. CDs were a thing when I was a kid in Mexico. And you would order from the catalog, and we would have to cross the border and pick up our mail at a church where we got our mail, and eventually we'd get that CD, and then we'd listen to it over and over and over again. But you had to wait for it to come. There was no two-day Amazon delivery to Mexico in those days. And we're uh, oftentimes desensitized to the difficulty of waiting uh, nowadays because we like things so immediate and we kind of build up technologies to make that stuff happen quickly. But there is no shortcut in the Christian life to hope. Uh, we're going to see in our passage this morning that Abraham was called to wait on God and his promises and then inherit. There was no shortcut to inheriting the promises of hope. And I want us to see first then in our passage, hope in the unchangeable character of God's purpose. Hope in the unchangeable character of God's purpose. Uh, one of the ways that the author of Hebrews illustrates something is he goes to the Old Covenant and he tells a story or he compares Christ to uh, a character from the Old Testament or even uh, creatures in the Old Testament. So you remember in chapter 1, Jesus as the Son has been compared to angels, and we've seen that He's superior to angels, that He's worthy of our worship, and therefore we must pay more close attention to the Word of Christ, because this, these are the last days. The prophets spoke of old, but now Christ has come and fulfilled those Old Testament prophecies, and He's greater than the angels as well. We saw Him compared to Moses, and Moses was a faithful servant uh, he, he does, the author of Hebrews does nothing to, to denigrate Moses, but he's saying Moses was pointing forward to the son. The son is the heir in the house. Moses was a servant. Jesus is the son in the house of God. And uh, Jesus has accomplished so much better rest than Joshua gave to the people of Israel. He brought them into the land, but they never had eternal abiding rest. The land was something that could, could be lost. It was a type, and it was pointing forward to heaven itself. And now Jesus has come, and he is the bringer of rest. And we saw most recently that Jesus is compared to Aaron, the priesthood of Aaron. And Jesus deals very, very gently with us as weak and wayward people because he himself was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And now we come to the first uh, a comparison and, and a similarity in our walk to Abraham. Uh, Abraham, uh, it says, uh, received God's promise. God made a promise to Abraham since he had no one greater to swear by, I'm reading verse 13, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. And this one is supposed to be uh, one of similarity, the comparison of similarity to us. In the same way that God made a sure promise to Abraham, and then he waited for that promise and received it, God makes sure promises to us. We wait, and then we receive them. But you remember... He's quoting here at the end of Abraham's life from chapter 22. I swear by myself, I will surely bless you and multiply you. Abraham is more than a hundred years old when he receives this promise. It's near, nearing the end of his life. And remember and just think about how many years Abraham had to wait in order to even hear this promise in Genesis 22. He was 75 years old when he was called. And when he receives the promise, he says, I'm 100 years old now, 
My wife is 90, and the way of women is gone from Sarah. How will you do this? And you remember in the context of Genesis 22, what God has just asked Abraham to do. It says, God tested Abraham, and the way that he tested him was to say, bring your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and take him to the mountains of Moriah and sacrifice him on the mountain that I will show you. You remember the heart-wrenching response of Isaac as they're walking up to the mountains of Moriah. Yes, Lord, I see the fire and We have the different elements of a sacrifice, but where is the lamb? What are we going to sacrifice before the Lord? And Abraham has no idea how God is going to do this, but he says, God will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. And step by step, they make their way toward the mountain on which Abraham thinks he will have to sacrifice his own son. And yet the Lord provides a ram And at the last moment when the knife is going to be plunged into his son's breast, God provides a sacrifice for Abraham. And it's because of this obedience, it says in the text, that he makes this certain and sworn promise. By myself I have sworn, he says. And then verses 16 to 18 take this kind of summary principle. God promises things. God makes absolute promises, and then we wait for them, and we receive them. He takes that principle, and now he kind of expands it, and he starts to explain how this promising works in verse 16. He, he speaks about a principle of how people make promises themselves. Verse 16, for people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. But then, of course, the, the problem arises because there's nothing greater than God. So what is God going to swear by? And verse 17 then explains to us, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Uh, the author of Hebrews has been reading Genesis, and he comes up to this promises, promise in Genesis 22, and he's just very struck by the fact that God swears by himself in Genesis 22. He swears by himself. God could have just promised, and he says it's impossible for God to lie. God could have just said, I'm going to do this for you, Abraham. I will multiply you, and I will bless you. But he wanted Abraham, and then you this morning, as you hear this sermon, he wanted you to be absolutely certain that God, who does not lie, will keep his promise. And so he swore by himself. At significant moments in our lives, we make vows. If you're married, you were brought into a ceremony where there was probably music and teaching Uh, But at the center of that service, everybody quietly watched as two people swore their lives. They, They vowed to be faithful to each other. And we take vows to certify that what we're saying is going to happen. In the court of law, you may put your hand on a Bible and say, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And the Bible is a pointer to God who has spoken, who is greater an authority than ourselves, and we're saying, in the very presence of God, I'm making this promise. 
But God has nobody greater to swear by, and so he swears by himself. And you remember in uh, Genesis chapter 15, the, the spectacular covenant that God made and what he was saying about himself. You remember Abram asking, well, how are you going to accomplish this promise? And God takes him out into the night sky. And he says, bring me these animals, a heifer, a female goat, and a ram. And he cuts the animals in pieces. And then a smoking fire pot comes and a flaming torch passes through the pieces. And God is saying, if either of us in this covenant break our promise, I will be destroyed. In the same way that the animals were sliced in two, I myself will come under the penalties of breaking this promise. That's how sure you as a Christian can be that God will keep his word. God swore by himself, and he swore what we call a self-maledictory oath. I will be destroyed if this covenant is broken And it's all made to underscore the fact that you can trust God when he speaks and when he promises. You can take God's commitment to the bank and put your full confidence and rest in that. Notice the very careful and kind of repeated way that God speaks about his purpose. Verse 17, the unchangeable character of his purpose the unchangeable character of his purpose. And it is sealed by God, swearing by himself. But second, I want us to see that hope creates patience. Hope creates patience. As I read in verses 11 and 12, here's what the author of Hebrews wants from us. It's very helpful when the text of the Bible actually tells us exactly what the application is that he's desiring for us. 11 6, 11, and 12, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope to the end, so you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. He wants every single one of us to make it to the end and through faith and patience get to inherit the promise. And then Hebrews 6, verse 15, Abraham, having patiently waited, inherited the promise. Uh, the Christian walk is all about waiting. That's, how I, uh, that's why I opened this sermon with the question and the illustration of waiting. And none of us like to wait. God makes promises to us, and then he says, you're headed toward your heavenly, everlasting city, and on the way to that promise that I'm making to you, you're going to have to wait for the promise to be fully fulfilled. What does your heart do when you walk into a circumstance that you never expected God would call you into, and he says, now, in this moment, I'm going to call you to wait on me, to trust me. I'm not going to take you out of it immediately. I'm not going to rescue you and pull you out of this difficult, dark moment. I ask you to wait and to trust. I had a very, very practical illustration of this uh, that God gave me at 2.30 a.m. this morning. 
uh, because a driver was uh, driving along Burlingame, that's the road that we live near to, and did not see the curve that uh, the road makes toward 44th Street and smacked into a light post and destroyed the transformer and the whole neighborhood was out of light. And so all of our kids are awake and uh, all kinds of uh, chaos ensued at 2.30 uh, this morning. And uh, of course, I was going to come back to my sermon and kind of get ready for this morning. And I had no battery left on my computer. And so I'm taking notes uh, by hand by a flashlight and writing out this illustration this morning. Uh, But Consumer Energy promised on Facebook that at 8 a.m. the power would come back on. It's a remarkable thing that they can set exact times when things like this will happen. And so at five in the morning, as I'm taking notes by a flashlight in the absolute dark, it's very strange how quiet the house is when there's zero electricity. I'm waiting, confident that by 8 a.m. I will be able to take notes on my computer again, print it off, and come this morning to preach this sermon. But certainly, uh, companies like this and people make promises to us that fail, uh, that don't come true. And God certifies to us that when he makes a promise, that when he swears by himself, he's going to keep what he said. He's going to allow you to wait patiently as a Christian and know that he's not just making things up and that you will be disappointed at the end of your life. You can certify that the one who's promised As you walk into the dark of whatever anxiety and fear you face, the one who's promised will accomplish this promise. What could I do this morning to turn the lights back on? Nothing at all. I had to wait and wait and wait. And amazingly, at 8 a.m., the lights did, 8.10 or so, the lights came back on. The Christian life is just like this. You're called as a Christian to patiently look forward to what God has done and what God has promised. The Psalms are packed with this kind of waiting in hope, waiting on the Lord. Just listen to a few of them. Psalm 39, verse 7. Now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you, or we read it this morning, 42 verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In Psalm 42, he remembers the days when he got to go and worship at God's temple, and he's remembering that one day he will get to go back and do that, and he's, until then, he's waiting and hoping in the Lord. And he's got to repeat it Three times in in chapter 42 and 43, he says exactly the same words. And he's saying to his own heart, wait in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Hope in God, for you will again praise him, my Savior and my God. Uh, Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. Is this the character of your life as a Christian, that you can patiently wait on God when he's made these lavish, spectacular promises and said, I will keep my word, that you then say, Lord, I will wait in you, I will hope in you, I will put my trust in you. Well, we've seen that the certainty of God's unchangeable purpose and how that creates hope. We've seen how hope is intended to create patience in us. And the third, I want us to see how hope entered heaven for us. Hope entered heaven 
before us. God knew that our souls would need an anchor. Uh, It's not only that He promises to us this hope, but then He sends an anchor for our hope. And in the many, many years of the Old Testament people waiting for God to come and to show the certainty of His promise, Christ entered into history and became that hope. And I want us to see third in these last three sections, the character of hope, the location of our hope, and then third, the name of our hope, the character, the location, and then the name. Verse 19 says, we have this as sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor. That's the character of your hope. It's sure and it's steadfast. I did a little bit of rock climbing in college, and there's a lot of gear that goes along with rock climbing. Uh, it was way more expensive than I probably wanted to get into uh, with rock climbing. It was harness and shoes and ropes and carabiners and all that stuff. But all those things that you purchase and you go to rock gyms and practice, all that stuff is only as good as the rock that you anchor into, right? You can have the most spectacular gear, uh, you can go to, uh, to all kinds of places to practice, but if when you go out to go rock climbing, the location of where you set your anchor, your rope, is no good, you will fall hundreds of feet to your destruction. And God says about this anchor, this anchor is sure and steadfast. It will hold. God is trustworthy in the anchor that he gives us. Notice the, pres- the location of this hope, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. In the Old Testament, there was a, a delineation of God's presence with his people in the temple, and there was always two places, basically, the presence of God in the inner place of the temple and everywhere else in the temple and outside of it. And this hope that has been accomplished for us in Christ has gone, gone beyond the curtain. It's gone into the inner place, inside of the curtain. And God's people who throughout the Old Testament had been used to a mediator going in on their behalf behind the curtain are told, you yourselves now in Christ go into and behind the curtain of the presence of God in heaven. It's as if... Uh, when you book a, a concert, oftentimes you have the choice of booking the VIP uh, uh, offering, and you get to go early and get to see uh, the artist and come backstage. It's as if we're being told we get a direct access with God who is behind the curtain. And you know exactly why you have that kind of access as a Christian. You are able to go behind the curtain because Jesus flesh was torn because Christ's body was broken for you. You have access through the curtain and into the inner presence of God because Christ himself was torn for us. And so we'll sing as we close, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. But notice third, beyond the character of the anchor and the location of the anchor, notice third, that the the anchor is a person. 
has a name. Verse 20, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You do not run at the beginning, at the front of the race. You do not fight on the front lines of the army of the battle that God has fought between us and all of our enemies. Jesus goes as the forerunner. Uh, some see this as the, 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 uh, the scouts who would go ahead and fight a, a battle or get a sense of what was a danger for a future army. And Christ has gone and fought that battle for you. And he already knows the territory. And he secured your future inheritance. You do not fight for yourself. Christ fights for you. And he is the forerunner who has gone on your behalf. And the very first time that Jesus is named in this section, the author is telling you, not only is this purpose and this promise and the, the sure and steadfast nature of this anchor uh, abstractly true, it's personally true. As certain as Jesus has been crucified on a cross for you, as certain as he has gone into a grave and rested in a grave for three days and been vindicated by resurrection, God certifies to you as sure as my son has been raised from the dead. You can have hope and rest in the certainty of Jesus. He's gone as a forerunner on your behalf. He's the anchor. He's the one that when you wait and you wait and you wait and you go into the dark at nights and you wonder, will I wake up in the morning even trusting in God? He certifies to you as sure as my son has gone into the Holy of Holies for your sake. You can trust him and you can wait patiently in Christ, in what Jesus has done for you because he is the one who has accomplished your salvation. So what enables you then to patiently wait as a Christian? Abraham is being set before you as a pattern. Abraham received these remarkable promises in the old covenant, and he believed those promises. He waited for them, and then God answered them, and he gave Isaac as the uh, commitment of his promise. What will give you the confidence to believe and then to wait on God's promises. Only as you see Jesus Christ, uh, the very Son of God, who was crucified for you, who because of your impatience, because of your distrust, because oftentimes my heart says, Lord, I struggle to wait in you. Jesus had to be given over to death, and the forerunner of our salvation had to have his body pierced and his blood shed on a cross so that the anchor would hold, so that when you put your confidence in him and you say, Lord, my only peace in this world, my only hope is bound to Jesus, you will know the anchor will hold. It will be sure and steadfast, and those who put their trust in Christ will never be put to shame. May we live our lives patiently looking forward to God's promises, knowing that everything has been accomplished in Jesus and as sure as Christ is resurrected, we will look on the fruition of these promises and enter into heaven itself forever. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we are those who need uh, an anchor for our souls, Lord. 
We thank you, Jesus, that you have been the forerunner. You have gone on ahead of us. And uh, the anchor holds in heaven, Lord, for us already. Lord, you pray for us even in this service. And Lord, you desire uh, us who are weak in our faith often, who, who struggle to wait for you, Lord. You have uh, secured us. You've bound us to yourself with love, Lord. And we never have to doubt your purposes. We never have to doubt that you care about us, that you will bring us to yourself, Lord. I, I pray for those who are struggling this morning uh, to wait on you. The darkness just seems overwhelming and their souls are in turmoil, Lord. I, I'm often there. I pray that you would bring us, Lord, through to see the resurrection hope of Jesus, that our anchor is a person and that as, as we put our trust in Christ, we will not be disappointed. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.